0: What's up, everybody? It's Ben. Normally, here on the podcast uh, feed, we have conversations where it's just Caleb and I sitting down and we're breaking into something that we're trying to study here in Brooklyn and just give little overviews of sections of text and stuff. Uh, This series is a little bit different, and we thought it'd be worth putting here on the feed so that both people here in Brooklyn and maybe those of you who tune in in other places might be benefited from some Bible class discussions that we've had recently regarding politics and how Christians should view politics. I and say at the outset, this isn't um, a study that's designed to tell people how they should vote or even if they should vote or how they should participate politically or if they should participate politically. It's more about the kind of perspective Christians should have about their relationship to government and politics. Uh, these are class discussions conducted over Zoom over a period of weeks here in the late summer, early fall of 2020. Um, Obviously, the audio quality is rough in some spots, so you hope you can forgive that. Um, We just thought some people might find it valuable to listen to what some other people are dealing with and thinking about in Scripture. And if you have any questions or things you want to talk about, as always, reach out to us. Let us know what you think, and we hope that all of us can think of ourselves not so much as Americans or as citizens of any nation of the world, but as citizens of heaven, followers of King Jesus. Thanks for tuning in, as always. We hope this is helpful for you. And let me ask this question. Um, If you were to move to pick your country, doesn't matter which country, just pick one in your brain. You move to this uh, other country, a far off place. What do you think might be your thoughts about the politics of that place? By the way, you're still an American citizen or if you're not an American citizen, whatever citizen or wherever you're from now, but you move to this other place What do you think might be your position, your attitude, your thoughts about the politics of the nation that you picked? Um, This is complete hypothetical. So let's roll it out a little bit here. And we've had some similar conversations this, but I want us to chew on it a little bit because I think it really helps us think about um, the stuff we're going to consider tonight. You move to this other random country that that you picked in your brain. By the way, you should say which country you picked in your brain whenever you give your answer. You picked a country, you're going to move there. What do you think about the politics? How do you relate to the politics of that place, et cetera?
1: Let's say for instance, um, I moved to England. Right. I'd have to certainly uh, brush up or bone up, if you will, on what their beliefs are and what the uh, major political party, if you will, is and assimilate myself. If I okay. want to feel like I have at least some say as to what happens if I'm going to actually become a permanent citizen of that country. Cause that's okay. another thing to think about Are you gonna become a citizen? Or are you just there for maybe a month or two or maybe a year?
0: Yeah, so let me ask you this, Mark and Diane, I'm gonna come to you cause I saw you go off mute there too. Um, let's say you're not gonna become a, a permanent citizen there, Mark. What, what, what do you think might be your thoughts or attitude? If you're like, hey, I'm gonna live here, maybe even I'm gonna live the rest of my life here, but I'm gonna maintain my US citizenship. I'm not gonna switch citizenship. How do you think that might impact? Cause you're kind of saying that would be the main motivation to really assimilating and really getting really deeply engaged what if you weren't going to become a citizen? What do you think might be your uh, posture toward the government? I would
1: still respect the government. I'd still learn as much as I could about it just to be respectful of where I am because they could just pick me out like that if they wanted to. Sure.
0: Yeah, you, you don't want to be yeah. an idiot. You want to like have some awareness of what's going on and uh, and relate in a proper way. That's cool. Yeah, good good perspective. Let's keep going, guy, Let's run this hypothetical. Diana, go ahead. What are you thinking?
2: Uh, what Mark said about England. So I went to London last year. And that's when they had the big vote for the Brit- Britics and whatever that was.
0: Brexit, yeah. I had,
2: yeah, so they were like offended because I was like, what is it? I think people were like talking to me. I didn't have, and, and I said, I really don't care. <laughs> what y'all do over here? And it said that I was trying to tell them, they were trying to explain it. I tried to research it when I got home, but it just didn't stick to my brain. So I don't know if I go to another country, I might be like, look, who cares about the politics? I'm here. Just to be
0: here. Okay. So they so
2: would to be totally honest. I don't I don't think I would be like involved in it. I'm just being honest.
0: Yeah, that's good. That and this is why I'm asking the question, by the way. So everybody can kind of give their perspective. We even have some people obviously, and actually I see Nelson here. Nelson, you may be offering a unique perspective here on this people that live in this country that we live in right now that are not from this country. So that might even uh, Nelson, you may be kind of sharing that. You may have something to say to us about that. Go ahead, whatever you want to say, brother.
1: Yeah. Um I remember when I was in South Africa and I spent like, you know, I was there um, just getting to know some people. One of the things that they told me, watch out what you say about Nelson Mandela because this guy is a hero over here. Um, Whether with the white people or with the black people, they considered him to be a hero. And and so watch out what you say. it could be, it could cost your head, or you know, things like that.
0: <laughs> so they're saying like somebody's gonna crack your skull if you if you start yes. talking trash. On that. Does anybody talk trash on Nelson Mandela? I can't really imagine that. I guess I'm sure everybody has people to talk trash, <laughs> but man, come on. No, that's a great perspective. So, so you you needed to be aware of the political climate so that you uh, one, for your own good and probably just so you could have good relationships with everybody there too. Uh, that's good, Robin. What are you thinking? Um, I
3: was. Thinking about um, one of the things that um, Diana mentioned in terms of uh, England and Brexit, and um, I was I saw this clip of like how that all went down, and how a lot of people after they voted for it, um, a lot of the citizens actually on camera said that they actually didn't know what they were voting for, um, and they just voted, and it ended up being really terrible <laughs> for them and. Um, I was just thinking to myself, like, when she was talking about that, I was like, oh, okay, I think that I would probably want to be informed, even if I went to another country, Um, even if I couldn't, I guess, even if I couldn't, like, vote in stuff, because I'm not a citizen, but maybe I could, like, try to break things down to people so that they, like, if they ask, so that they aren't, like, not, so that they're not Uninformed and making decisions that will hurt them instead of help them.
0: And some of that may even be like in the Brexit example, you might be able to share unique perspective from your political background and have something to offer maybe even, you know, in contrast or in in supplement. Yeah. All right. Cool. Any other thoughts? Uh, Maybe some of y'all picked another hypothetical country that you were going to move to and how you imagine you might relate to the politics of that foreign country uh, where you're living. By the way, I love the answer we've got. It's such a range of, some of you guys give them some pretty specific examples. Some are just kind of a range of approaches. Some like, I'd want to get really into it. Some like, eh, I don't think I'd want to. Some like, I just don't want to get in trouble. Like, this is really interesting. I think uh, pretty cool to hear all this. Here's the point of the exercise It's, it wouldn't be necessarily super easy to figure out how to relate to it always. Um, and, and that's the case for us too. I should say that's always been the case of God's people. And one of the best things about the book of Acts is that the book of Acts is an expressly kingdom book. It begins and ends with references to the kingdom and all along in between, it emphasizes that this is who God's people are. We're members of his kingdom. And, uh, and as such, the book of Acts is neat because it kind of gives us the, uh, founding ideals of the kingdom, the gospel, the resurrection, etc., love, um, it also tells us about the, the, if we can put it this way, the internal politics of the kingdom. So you can think about uh, the economic policy of the kingdom of God. If you had to do that, could you do that? Could you give the economic policy of the kingdom of God? Well, I think a great place to go would be Acts 2, where they sold their possessions and gave to those of their number who had need. That's economic policy. That's the, the politics of the kingdom. Um, what about when crimes are committed? The criminal justice system of the kingdom. Well, you can look at Acts chapter 5. Where Ananias and Sapphira lied. I'm not saying that it's always the criminal justice system, but you see the uh, execution of punishment uh, for crimes in the kingdom of God. Now, again, not always that uh, dramatic, but point being, there's right and wrong. And, and it, within the kingdom, we have certain rules that we follow from the king. Um, social welfare within the kingdom. Look at Acts 6. Uh, and and dealing with division, the the dispute over the Grecian widows who were not being properly cared for. You guys get the point, right? There's a lot of internal politics, and I know it sounds like, wait, that's not politics. It's just Christianity, and yeah, that's my point. We're a part of the kingdom of God, so the life we live in devotion to Jesus, our king, it's our form of politics as we live for Jesus. Um, But the book of Acts also tells us a good bit about the, if I can say it this way, international politics of the kingdom of God. The foreign policy. How did the kingdom relate to the nations among whom they were living and that they were uh, associating with? So, like I said tonight and next week, Lord willing, we're going to talk about that. And uh, what I want to do uh, for the next few minutes here is look at a few conversations to see what was the primary point of emphasis whenever Christians were relating with non-Christians, what and particularly political power brokers of the day what were they talking about? What were they interested in? What were they most concerned with? My guess is we look at this, some of us may be like, but why didn't they talk about X, Y, Z? Please bring that up if, if that hits your brain, if you, if you kind of see that. Um, so we, cause I think there's some things to talk about there. Next week, what we're gonna do is look a little more at like, how did they actually utilize their political means? Tonight, we're just gonna talk about what was their discourse? What was their focus? What was their primary point of emphasis whenever they would think about and talk with Uh, people of political influence and that is the interesting thing the early church had a lot of interactions with powerful political figures uh, all the way up to caesar himself acts doesn't record that but we know paul ended up talking to the caesar and um, all along the way every other level of government christians interacted with them so it's pretty cool to see they had opportunity to influence these political power brokers of the world what did they do what did they emphasize What did they talk about? So we're not going to go through every single one of these, but we're going to go through a few passages here in the book of Acts that um, show us some things about how Christ's first followers related to and talked about and thought about world politics. So everybody look at Acts chapter five, Acts chapter five. What we're going to do is I'm going to kind of set up each one of these. Uh, Some of you, I hope, you know, look through this uh, in the, homework material and and considered these things and and are kind of prepped for a little discussion if not that's okay we're going to read these and talk about them from here Uh, i'm going to set it up so the interaction here in acts 5 is going to be between the apostles and the jewish council which was a religious organization that also had a very expressly political slant to it they ran the show in jerusalem so what led to the interaction is the apostles had been preaching in acts 5 they get arrested for it it's kind of funny an angel bust them out of jail in the middle of the night. The next morning, well, it was actually early in the morning, the early, the next morning, they go back into the temple, into the belly of the beast, preaching again, and here the, uh, the, the council gets upset. They send guards to arrest them, but all the people love it so much. The guards were scared and they said, we don't really want to grab these guys. So, like, hey, could you guys please come with us? We need to arrest you again if that's okay with you. And so they arrest them and they take them off. So, uh, so that's the setup. That's the reason for this interaction. So uh, let's look at Acts chapter 5. And we're going to start in verse 27 and read through verse 32. Basically, they show up with these guys and they say, hey, what are you doing? How dare you? We told you to stop preaching. And here's what they talked about. Now, I just want to add, uh, if you read through any of the Gospels, especially the Gospel of Luke, I'd say, you'll find pretty quickly that the Jews who ruled Jerusalem at this time were bad dudes. They did a lot of bad stuff. They, uh, they promoted um, uh, injustices against widows, for instance. That's a big point of emphasis in Jesus' teaching and how that was sinful, Um, They discouraged people from keeping the law, which God's law was supposed to um, promote justice and righteousness in the world. They were people who were hypocrites. They had all kinds of corruption in their ranks. Even the death of Jesus, by the way, was an act of political corruption. They They took him on trial. They lied about him and then had him executed. It was political corruption that had Jesus killed. So here the apostles are. They're standing before the council, and they've got some juice right now. All the people love them. That's the whole point, right? They couldn't even get dragged away to get arrested. The guards had to basically beg them to come along because all the people loved them so much. What do they talk about? What are they going to bring up with these men? So how dare you, you're not supposed to be preaching. We're, we're, we're upset with you guys. Um, Acts 5 starting verse 27. I'm just going to read this. And then you just kind of highlight, let's just kind of go around the horn here. What do you see? that's emphasized about how the apostles spoke to these political power brokers. Acts five, verse 27. When they had brought them, they stood before the council. The high priest questioned them saying, we gave you strict orders not to continue teaching in this name. And yet you filled Jerusalem with your teaching and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. But Peter and the apostles answered, We must obey God rather than people. The God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom you had put to death by hanging him on a cross. And he is the one whom God exalted to his right hand as a prince and a savior to grant repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses of these things. And so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. All right, what do you guys see? What stands out to you? Here they are, they're standing before these political power brokers of their day, the highest office in Jerusalem, at least, among um, Jewish political figures. What's interesting to you about the way the apostles address these individuals? How do they talk? What do they talk about? What do you see?
1: Peter and the apostles weren't afraid to um, convey their uh, importance for God. For sure. They were standing up for Christ. They, they didn't deny him. They weren't afraid to stand up for him and let them know that he basically was their boss, that they were speaking on his behalf.
0: Yeah. I like that. Jesus is my boss. Like it's not you. But yeah. And you're emphasizing Mark, the boldness here that they're unintimidated. These guys had the ability to have them put to death and the apostles knew that better than anybody. They just seen it happen to Jesus. And yet they're unintimidated. They don't care. They don't try to, you know, I don't know, cut a deal. Uh, With the with the political brokers, they just say what they think is true. Yeah. Other thoughts. What else do you guys see that's interesting to you as Peter and the apostles speak to these powerful political figures? They took
4: the time
3: to explain who
0: Jesus was and what he did. That's their message. They talk about who Jesus was and what he did. Yeah, I love that. Great point. Great point. which I want to reiterate was a political message. Jesus being raised up to the right hand of God. That was, a, he's the King. You know, this is our political viewpoint here. We don't care whether you guys like what we're doing or not. We're going to do this. Keep going. What else do you, Diana?
2: And, and like Mark said, they were so bold because they were accusatory in 30 verse 30. They told him you the one who put him, you know, put him to death by hanging him." Yep. So that, would, that took courage because they could have just slayed them right there. But they, they flipped. You ever have somebody say, you flipped the script on somebody? They flipped <laughs> it on them.
0: They did. That's right. I'm so glad you highlighted that, Diana. I, when, I, when I read this a couple times in prep, I was, I was noticing all the stuff that you guys have pointed out, right? They're standing up for Christ. They're talking about Jesus. But the interesting thing is they make a really specific political um, accusation. You guys had him, you guys had the son of God put to death. Son of God equals somebody righteous. You killed someone righteous. Ergo, you guys violated law. You guys did something wrong. Uh, they were unafraid and they were, not, they were not bashful at all to highlight what they saw was a problem, a sin among the political powers. Now, what's interesting is, well, yeah, anyway, we'll, we'll go on more and maybe what's interesting here in a minute, but I, I think that's something to note. They weren't afraid to say, you guys did something wrong. Keep going. Other thoughts, other observations about this. And by the way, it may be what they say or what they don't say that you find interesting. You know, some of these that we're going to look at, it's not just what is said, but it's also what is not said that's striking and, and uh, thought provoking. Um, but other thoughts about the political dialogue here with, between the apostles and the Jewish council? Raimi.
4: When I read like um, verse 30, and when it says the God of our ancestors, I mean, are, they, is, are the apostles kind of questioning um, the Pharisees, like what, questioning their faith is like, listen, the God of our ancestors um, raised Jesus from the dead. I don't know who you all are believing in, but what my God did this and you know, and you know who Jesus was because you put him to death. So are you all really not, you know, practicing the way you should that's kind of how i
0: read that yeah i think that's a great analysis of that and yeah. that kind of pairs with diana's comment they're really highlighting yeah. you guys are doing something wrong and you should know better Is kind of your point right that's really good yes that's what i, I muted myself too soon <laughs> <laughs> no, i think it's a great point i love it i, I didn't yeah. notice that angle but i think that's a great point yeah mark
1: i want to just follow up on something which i'm glad that uh, pointed out in verse 30 because if you go on to 31 if you continue it says he is the one whom god exalted to his right hand as a prince and a savior to grant repentance to israel and forgiveness of sins it's almost like a condensed version if you will of why god came here why jesus came in the first place and what exactly he accomplished
0: absolutely i think that's exactly right that's exactly right and that is the essence of this conversation right like what they want I mean, ultimately they want the council and they want all their brethren that are Jews. They want everybody eventually that will ever hear the message to believe in the gospel. That was what their focus was on. That's why they, after getting arrested went back on preaching and even said now, Hey, we got to obey God rather than men. Whatever you guys got to do, y'all got to do. We're going to keep on preaching. We're going to keep on doing it. I like it like this.
5: Hey, Ben. Sorry, Ben.
0: Um,
5: Yeah. Yeah you mentioned what they didn't say because what I was thinking this follows the pattern, you know, after the beginning of acts, they tell, um, all the people, you know, you murdered the Messiah and the Jews. And I believe the, the people who were all in favor of that they kind of, they were convicted and that, you know, and they, they said, Oh my God, you know, well, what should we do? Like we've done this. They felt really guilty. And, and they said, you need to, you know, uh, pray and repent. Be baptized and repent. Um, and here, this reminds me that he's telling them, You guys killed the Messiah. But this time, you know, they had their time, they kind of had their time to pray and repent. And he's he's leaving that part out. He's like, You did this, and we're going to continue talking about it. And he also clearly says, You know, we are witnesses to these things in, in verse 32. And so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. So he's clearly telling them you guys are not following God at all.
0: Sure. Yeah. Which speaks to Ramy's point. That is exactly right. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I like the point that you highlighted there, the witnesses thing. Uh, he's using legal terms here. You know, we're on trial. Well, we're look, we're standing, no, actually we're not on trial. Like what's on trial is whether or not Jesus really is the Messiah and we are witnesses. Yeah. We're willing to stand up as witnesses for Jesus that yeah. we saw him raised from the dead and the Holy spirit who's producing miracles through the, our hands as the apostles He's been to all this. So, yeah, that's awesome. I, I, I love it. I mean, you guys have kind of hit, I think, most of the major notes here as far as, um, you know, what we've got here as the apostles, they're arrested for preaching. And then, you know, they, uh, whoopsie daisy, I went the wrong direction here. Let me go this way. Whoops, there we go. Uh, what they want to talk about is obedience to Jesus. You know, they want to talk about um, uh, the, the resurrection from the dead. That's their focus uh, is to get people thinking about that. Uh, It's intriguing to me that what they don't do – well, just notice, uh, skip down to the end. Verse 40, um, the people end up – the council ends up letting them go. They beat them, and they send them out of the council, and they go on their way. And verse 41 says they went on their way rejoicing that they had been considered worthy to suffer shame for his name. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they kept right on teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. Several of you commented on the, the boldness of the apostles, the disregard they had. Two things that are interesting to me from a political perspective here. I think a lot of political action groups, a lot of of social improvement groups, even a lot of religious groups in our day, what a lot of times we try to do is make alliances. And and I say we loosely, I don't know, I'm not saying anybody on this call necessarily, but just in general, a lot of Christians think, hey, we should make uh, certain alliances with certain political groups. Yeah, we don't agree with them. We don't really trust them, but we think they can help us and strengthen us. The apostles don't do that. They go right on preaching and teaching and relying on, Christ to provide whatever they needed. And they were cool with whatever. Now, by the way, they were just about to lose one of their most influential preachers and teachers and servants in the form of Stephen, which was, again, a political execution where they took Stephen and killed him. It wasn't just religious. For Jews, the religion and politics thing really was merged into one there in Jerusalem. But that was okay. They said, hey, whatever God's going to do, God's going to do. We're going to keep on doing what's right. We're going to keep on preaching and teaching what's right. And when we have opportunity, we're going to point out how the political powers that be." They are not. We're going to speak very openly and boldly about that. Just like Jesus did, who said about Herod, you go tell that fox. It wasn't a compliment. It was a criticism of how bad he was uh, and how he was living. But anyway, they, they don't try to negotiate. They don't try to, to um, compromise with the political powers. They just say, hey, look, this is where we stand. That's what it is. The other interesting thing to me is they don't go and try to rally support among the Jews. I mean, they clearly could have. They had so much support that the guards were unwilling to grab them and take them. They were going to be real gentle with them. Imagine if Peter and John had gone out and kind of led a campaign of anti-high uh, uh, priest uh, rhetoric and anti account They could have won, I really believe that. I think there was enough grassroots support, they could have done something. I think the book of Acts bears out, but they didn't. They stayed really concentrated on their mission of living by the love of Christ and elevating the gospel all the time. All right, cool. We're going to go to another text. Any other comments here on the apostles before the council? Anything you guys want to say? Just interesting things to note. Diana?
2: Um, I was just looking at verse 28 at the end, and they said, um, you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. So that was the guilt talking to them. and Because no, when you look at verse, I don't want to go before verse 33, they said they would cut yeah. quick to the heart. You know, so that was guilt because they like, oh, you intend to bring this man blood. So if you really didn't feel that way, you wouldn't have never said nothing.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. And you know, they, this again, this has just happened a few months prior with Jesus. And so the apostles knew good and well, we might get killed today. It might all be over for us. We may lose so-called to the political powers, but that didn't impact anything about their behavior. They said, listen, we know what's true. We know what's real. We're going to be real about it. And we're going to be unintimidated. And we're not going to feel the need to get your support or other people's support to fight against you. We know what we've got in the Lord. All right, cool. Flip over to Acts 8. The next time uh, I want us to see, there's some other interactions, by the way. I I just kind of curated a few examples here. um, And really, even the other ones, they're kind of overlapping or kind of repeat examples of, of similar principles. Uh, but this is a really interesting interaction. Okay, so Philip, who is a servant in the church in Jerusalem, has gone up to Samaria. He started preaching the gospel, and uh, the Spirit sends him out of Samaria, where he's converting folks, preaching the gospel, building bridges between people who would have been racial enemies before. I mean, he's doing important work in Samaria. The Spirit says, go to the desert. And so he does, and he goes into, into Gaza on a desert road, And beginning in verse 27, I'm going to read verse 27 through verse 35, 27 through 35. And I'd like you to note the way this interaction goes and what's interesting to you. He's going to meet a a, a court official of a foreign government. I mean, foreign to him because he's a member of the kingdom of God, but I mean, foreign even for Jews. Um, And notice what they talk about, how the conversation goes, what happens. Acts 8, beginning verse 27. So Philip got up and went, and there was an Ethiopian eunuch the court official of Candace queen of the Ethiopians who was in charge of all her treasure. And he had come to Jerusalem to worship. The eunuch was returning and sitting in his chariot and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. Then the spirit said to Philip, go join this chariot. So Philip ran up and heard him reading Isaiah, the prophet. And he said, do you understand what you're reading? The man said, well, how could I? unless someone guides me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of scripture, which he had been reading was this. He was led as a sheep to slaughter and as a lamb before its shearers is silent. So he does not open his mouth. In humiliation, his judgment was taken away. And who will relate his generation for his life is removed from the earth. The eunuch answered Philip and said, please tell me of whom does the prophet say this? Is he talking about himself or someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth and beginning with this scripture, he preached Jesus to him. Let's stop right there. What's interesting to you about this interaction between Philip and this court official, the treasurer, he's the guy in charge of all the money. So he's the secretary of the treasury, big, big, big shot, big time dude. What's interesting to you about Philip's interaction with this man?
1: Philip is concerned that he wants to make sure that the Ethiopian knows what he's reading and he wants him to know the truth about Jesus.
0: He cares about this guy. He's yeah. concerned about him. And and I like that you pointed out, I mean he's concerned specifically about his spiritual well being. Yeah, good. What else do you guys notice about this interaction? And again, what what is talked about, what isn't talked about, whatever. And by the way, feel free to read on past. Diana did that a second ago. Y'all feel free to do that. I'm stopping just to stop at a certain point. You got to stop somewhere, but don't be constrained by that. Check the context some more if you want to see some other things. Uh, What else do you find interesting about this interaction between Philip and uh, the treasurer? Brian. I think it's um, interesting and and kind of
5: significant that he, the eunuch asks a question. I think a lot of us asked when we first start reading things like the prophets, like, who are they talking about? (laughs) You know, because they're saying, they're saying the man, and then they start talking about the arm of the Lord. And, you know, I think we talked about this where I'm like, okay, so the arm is Jesus. Now they're talking about Jesus. You know, so he's, he's asking a really basic question, like, is the prophet talking about himself or somebody else, you know? And that's just a great way to kind of, uh, helps guide someone. And that's what he asked for in the, in the uh, prophets um and then he goes on and obviously the answer is is not simple because he he explains the whole story of jesus yeah that's kind of like a lesson for us about how to read the prophets see read them knowing that they're talking about something else or or that they should we should be thinking about where is jesus
0: in the prophets good good yeah Keep going, guys. What else do you find interesting about this interaction? Again, look for things that that you that stand out to you that you see, but also what are the things that are absent from this conversation that you might have expected a Christian who's interacting with a powerful political figure? What's the conversation about or what's it not about? Diana, what you got?
2: I find it interesting that an Ethiopian was reading the Old Testament. Script. I mean, you know scripture. That's right. When he came to Jerusalem to worship. Like, So how did he know how to read that? I just find that interesting that the Ethiopian political figure was we in the scroll.
0: Yeah. So what's your what's your thought about that? You find it interesting, but what what I, mean,
2: that? I guess I, I don't know. I mean, maybe somebody I don't I, I don't know how he came to know that maybe I don't know, Ben. I don't know. It's, in it, Ethiopia, maybe somebody was in Ethiopia and said, but he didn't know about Jesus, but he knew about the Old Testament, the prophet.
0: Presumably, he heard the name of Jesus. As far as we can tell, there's no reason to think that he knew anything about it
2: And, and how did he come across? I just find it interesting how he came across the old, the, the scroll Isaiah.
0: So, yeah, I had that question too, actually. So this is parallel, actually. Think about it. You guys know the, the little story uh, that kind of gets mistold a little bit. It's not that big of a deal, I guess. But you know the story of the uh, so-called three wise men. It just says they were wise men. They had three gifts. Could have been two guys who had three gifts. Could have been ten guys who just were boring and only could come up with three gifts. I don't know. But the wise men who went to see Jesus, they were wise men from the east. Uh, in other words, they weren't from Jerusalem. They were on long journeys to come. Uh, it seems like from the way you read Matthew chapter two, that it may have been months, if not close to a year after Jesus had even been born, um, depending on how you kind of read that and, and put that together. But anyway, my point is this, it's the same kind of thing, how they find out. I think, and, and I think uh, there's historians who would kind of bear this out, that the way that worked is whenever the Israelites were um, scattered out of their land in exile, well, they, they took Torah with them. That was the only thing they had. They didn't have a temple anymore, but they had the Torah. They had the scriptures. And so that's how synagogues got formed. They were like, hey, we don't have temple anymore, but we'll set up a little place where we can all come together on Sabbath and we can read scripture and we can worship together. And then what they would end up happening is this little community would end up influencing certain people uh, with their message of, frankly, a message of hope that one day a savior is going to come. One day God's kingdom is going to be established. And so people in those places you'll read in the book of Acts about people who were god-fearers usually those are not referring to Jewish people but probably people like this Ethiopian who may have become a Jew we don't know he certainly I mean he was willing to go to Jerusalem for worship so I think he at least really believed in the Jewish faith in the hope that it offered and Philip says hey it doesn't have to just be hope anymore it's real Jesus has come so that that's my understanding of probably uh, how this guy came to think that it was worth having a scroll of Isaiah and reading it and trying to think about it, and trying to understand it. Uh, but it's it's really an amazing thought that there were, there were people seeking God even in the highest levels of government in nations, hundreds. And I should have checked the math, but I got to believe perhaps thousands of miles away from Jerusalem. And uh, that's pretty encouraging. And you see Philip take advantage of that opportunity to highlight Jesus to him what else do you guys find interesting from the about the 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 discourse here the discourse between philip and this political figure the uh the ethiopian treasurer
4: um so one thing that i think is interesting not necessarily between the two of them like their dynamic but the fact that the um the eunuch was a official of a royal um like a royal official and yet and still he didn't, you know, I don't know much about Ethiopian, like religion or gods and their structure, but, you know, just based off of the proximity to Egypt and how kind of like how um, they operated with, you know, their their monarch being a, a god on earth, um, even if they had any kind of symbolism like that in Ethiopia, he kind of re- rejected that even with um, him being a proselyte, if he was a Jewish proselyte, to say I'm even though I'm serving the queen right out, you know, I'm one of her, you know, her top officials, but I don't reject, I don't accept the fact that she might think of herself as a goddess or a God. Um, and I'm going to seek after this Messiah that's been talked about in scripture. Um, and I think that's interesting. And I think that's um, also interesting that Philip recognizes that, you know, he is a a top official and he's willing to um, help him in his way to, um kind of escape um because i mean it, it could potentially mean death to him if he went back converted um and said oh actually queen there's a there's a real king and a real god and it's not you so um I thought that was interesting
0: yeah yeah i'm not real familiar with ethiopian like religion and 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 uh, political figures how that overlapped as you point out there's a lot of cultures where that was true and even if uh, whether or not the the king or queen was designated as an actual deity they would be treated with utmost reverence and to your point here he's he's converting to a religion that's going to really challenge a lot of his assumptions a lot of his cultural presuppositions he's willing to do that and philip thought he needed to do that you know and just preach jesus to him i think it's a it's a a great point Uh, i want to point this out uh look a little further down the text Of course after this they come by water and the guy apparently part of preaching jesus preaching baptism because the man says hey there's some water can i get baptized or what holds me back and philip says well i mean do you believe the implication being the only reason to not be baptized if you don't believe jesus and he said yeah i believe that he's the son of god and so philip baptized him looked around down around verse 38 39 40 what ends up happening after this um where does the unit go? What what happens in his life after he's converted to Christ? What do you what do you notice here at the end of the story?
1: Philip
0: disappears.
1: Uh, that, Lord snatched
0: Philip away. Okay, good. That's right. The Lord snatches Philip away. Brian, go ahead. Yeah,
5: the Lord, and I was thinking about this from what we read before. The Lord takes Philip away, and he makes a they make a special point to say. The eunuch saw him no more. Yeah, and I say that because what I one of the things I noticed in our first reading is that when he saw the eunuch, the eunuch had been, had gone to Jerusalem and had said that he was returning. So I was thinking, if he went to worship and he's returning, like you know, and he he said, I need to have someone to guide me. It felt like he needed someone to help him every time he read. But it sounds like maybe Philip explained so much of the word to him that you know what, like he told him the whole story, now this guy could finish, you know, his, a lot of his worship and study on his own, because Philip took a lot of time to really
0: explain it. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. That's a really interesting point.
2: You know what, uh, Ben, so in my Bible, it says, when the eunuch saw him no more, but went on his way rejoicing. He could have been like, oh my God, what was that? You know what I'm saying? Scared, or whatever, but he rejoiced, because he knew in his heart then. So... Usually if you see like a miracle, something supernatural like this, you don't be rejoicing. You are not rejoicing. You like, I'm out of here. But he went on his way rejoicing.
4: That's right. That's right.
0: No, and I love that. And and, and here, here's the the kind of pairing, the couple things you gotta point out. One, Philip being snatched away and, and then the guy going on his way. Two things. Again, this is stuff that I frankly kind of almost expect to be mentioned, but they're not. Philip doesn't tell the guy he needs to quit his job, at least not that it's recorded. And I think in the book of Acts, when somebody needed to repent of something that was wrong, it would get recorded in their conversion story. This guy goes on his way. Implication being, there was no conversation about, hey, you need to stop being a court official. It's bad to participate in politics. That doesn't happen. Now, that wasn't the point of conversation. That wasn't the real emphasis. It was about conversion to Jesus. He doesn't talk to him about the kind of economic policies he should be encouraging Candace to initiate in Ethiopian society, because that wasn't the point either. But you see what I'm saying, right? That it's interesting to note that the, the court official, there's no indication that he needed to quit his job. Maybe he did eventually, if he could even, but he does, he's not encouraged to do that. He just went on his way. Uh, so in other words, he could serve Jesus as his real king and go on his way and still participate as uh, the treasurer of, of uh, Ethiopia. The other interesting thing, though, is uh, Philip also could have said, you know what, man, things are kind of tough here in Judea. It's not going so hot for us. You're a Christian. You're really into us. Every, every political figure we've ever met, they hate us, honestly. Like they, they try to kill us, literally. One of my best friends, Stephen, he was killed recently. I'm kind of wondering, what do you think about if I were to come with you you let me talk to Candace, like you believe the gospel, what if she did? And maybe she could kind of be a safe haven for us and support us and support our values and all that kind of thing. Would you be down with that? Not even a mention of that in this text. Now, like Philip didn't hang around a little longer to, to score any more points with this guy. He preached the gospel to him, the man was in Christ, bang, Philip's out of there. The Lord says, I got something else for you to do. I'm just trying to emphasize this point that there wasn't a big uh, emphasis in the early church on trying to coerce political powers to agree with them or support them. There was almost an expectation they wouldn't. And if anybody in government happened to be godly, that'd be great and it'd be amazing. And maybe governments could turn out to be godly, but that wasn't a priority for the early church. That wasn't a priority for Christ's first followers. All right, we're gonna do two more and kind of pick up the pace a little bit with them, but look at Acts chapter 13. Acts 13, Paul and Barnabas are on a preaching, a missionary journey. This is actually the first one that's recorded. If you don't count them going to Antioch as a missionary journey, it was kind of a missionary move. But this is where they're going to go from place to place, preaching the gospel and trying to meet folks and so forth. So in Acts 13, um, when you start in verse five, it says, when they reached Salamis, they began to preach the word of God uh, in the synagogues of the Jews. And they also had John as their helper. And when they got the whole island as far as Paphos, they found a magician a Jewish false prophet whose name was Bar Jesus, who was with the proconsul, Sergius Paulus, a man of intelligence. Sergius Paulus proconsul was kind of like a, we might think of like a governor or I a, 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 I don't know what you'd call somebody who, uh, not exactly like a mayor, but something kind of sorta of in that vein, you know, uh, their political system was different than ours. But think in that term, like, whatever's between a mayor and a governor, something like that. All right, so Sergius Paulus, smart guy, This man summoned Barnabas and Saul. Come here, guys. I want to talk to you. Why? He was seeking to hear the word of God. Uh, So back to our chart here of how these political interactions went down and what happened with them. Uh, We've seen in Acts 5, they get arrested for preaching. That's what kind of led to this interaction with the political figures. And whenever they get there, they talk about obedience to God who raised Jesus from the dead. Philip was sent by the spirit to see the eunuch. Uh, And starting from that scripture, he preached Jesus to him. Here in Acts 13, it's actually the political figure who summoned them because he wanted to hear the word of God. So maybe to put it another way, the reason why what led to this interaction with a powerful political figure was the fact that they had been preaching. And he'd heard about them and he said, hey, I want you guys to come over here. I want to hear the word. I want to hear what you got to say about this. All right. So this this is a big deal. They're getting talked to this important political figure. They have the opportunity to preach whatever they want to preach. Talk about whatever they want to talk about. Deal with whatever they want to deal with. Act however they want to act. Listen to what they do. Verse 8. But Elymas, the magician, I think it's saying like that guy who was uh, Bar Jesus, for so his name is translated, he was opposing them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. But Saul, who was also known as Paul, Filled with the Holy Spirit, fixed his gaze on him and said, and this is right in front of the proconsul guy, right? So you think you want to be on good behavior, you're right in front of this important political figure. And apparently, Elemus was one of his buddies. Bar Jesus is one of uh, Sergius Paulus' buddies. So Paul says to Elemus, the magician, not the proconsul, not the political figure, but the guy who's trying to influence the political figure, Paul says, verse 10, you who are full of all deceit and fraud, you son of the devil, you enemy of all unrighteousness, uh, of all righteousness. Will you not cease to make crooked the straight way of the Lord? Now behold, the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you'll be blind and not see the sun for a time. And immediately a mist and a darkness fell upon him, and he went about seeking those who would lead him by the hand. Then the proconsul believed when he saw what had happened, being amazed at the teaching of the Lord. Okay, uh, let's do it this way. You're the proconsul. You're sitting there in your fancy chair or whatever, and you summon this guy, Saul, with his friend Barnabas. And Saul's name is also Paul. And, okay, Paul, nice to meet you. And Elemus is there and all this. What do you find interesting about the way this guy, Paul, how does he conduct himself? How does he comport himself? How does he present himself before you? And you're an important guy. You're, you're a big shot. And here this man, Paul, shows up. What strikes you about the way he presents himself and speaks and thinks and acts and his whole vibe as he stands there before you?
2: Well, Ben, he was super confident. <laughs> you know, he he was like so. Even the proconsul who has authority over the people, he even had to sit back and be like amazed. Yeah, and this guy was like super confident, and he did what he had to do.
0: It's it's very similar to what we saw in Acts five. Now in Acts five, they're attacking the political figures. Here, are the political figures observing the boldness. And it's like, Oh, what is this guy? What's going on with this dude here? He's just going at this man. No intimidation, no deference to me. I mean, I'm the one running the show here. I'm the pro but actually I don't think this Paul guy thinks I am running the show. I think he thinks somebody else is running the show. Y'all keep going. What else do you find interesting about this interaction? And if you were in Sergius Paulus's seat, if you're the pro what would you find striking about this uh, man, Paul and his, his, his buddy Barnabas?
2: Ben, he probably said, y'all ain't gonna mess with this guy Paul." <laughs> <laughs> I think that's true. That's definitely true. <laughs> yeah. Let me ask you this. What
0: does Paul talk about? Two elements, to bar Jesus. What is the focus of the, the discussion, uh, or not really discussion, but the, uh, the, the, the assertions that Paul makes, what does he focus on?
4: So I think that, um, I think it's interesting that he had nothing to say directly negative to the pro council. Um, It seems like, you know, you have these political figures and they always have this sketch sidekick. So like to do their dirty work for them or give them this, you know, bad advice or do whatever things that they don't want to get their hands dirty. Um, But I think that by Saul realizing, you know, having that knowledge and knowing Who you know Barnabas or Bar Jesus um, was and what he was doing um, and his character, I think it pricked the pro council um, because they're obviously they're associated. But he's not coming directly after him, but I think it pricks him enough to like, oh, he really he truly knows what's going on here, Um, and I think it was enough to cause him to do some serious self-reflection just based off of that.
0: No doubt no doubt. Yeah. Yeah. And I, Emily, go ahead.
4: It also seems so personal how Paul is confronting him. Like he's not just saying like, Oh, here's what's true. You go ahead and do what you want to do with it. Like I'll lay it out there for you. You can respond or not respond. Like he calls him out for what he's doing and the fact that he's twisting truth and perverting it. And I mean, he lays it on him.
0: Absolutely. Very similar to chapter five. Where they were just straight up, you killed Jesus. You you did wrong, you know, in what you did. They were really blunt about that. And not in terms of talking about public policy, but in terms of talking about personal righteousness, you know. And and that, by the way, that would feed into thoughts about public policy and so forth. But when they were before these political figures, they were much more concentrated on what do you guys think is right and wrong? We'll see that more in just a second. Mark, I think you jumped off a second ago. What did you want to say?
1: I guess you could say that Paul speaks a prophecy about something that God is going to do in verse 11. And sure enough, it's a reminder for us that when God or someone in God's name says that he's going to do it. He never fails to act.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. And I'll just add to that a little bit that besides talking about what God's about to do, Paul is focused on, hey, you're standing at true spirituality. I mean, this man had some sort of spiritual power. Maybe it was all deception or maybe it was some sort of demonic type power he was utilizing. I don't know, but I know Paul says what you were doing is wrong, man. You're not the real stuff. And I'm about to show you what the real stuff is whenever you're struck blind here, you're done. Uh, Paul wanted to focus on uh, righteousness. He wanted to focus on true spirituality and the meaning of those things. That was his focus in what he uh, what he was talking about here in this moment before the proconsul and uh, and that's significant i think that that was what he wanted to focus on we're going to skip Acts 17. um you can read that and check that out that's a pretty uh would we'll come to that passage i'm confident we will again sometime but just for sake of time i want us to skip to acts chapter 24 and i'm just gonna make some comments and then i'll pause and open it up uh, for you guys to make some observations before we land the plane here uh for our discussion for tonight acts 24 paul had been accused by the jews Um, of violating the law. The law was Gentiles, non-Jews, were not supposed to be in certain parts of the temple. And Paul was falsely accused of violating that. And so there's a political accusation from the Jews while he had been in Jerusalem. Paul had come to Jerusalem to give, um, uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, Financial aid to the poor saints in Jerusalem. You can learn that from Acts chapter 21 and, and uh, from Paul's letters. So that's why he's there. He's there for the gospel. And he gets arrested, he gets lied about, all this stuff happens. And then he comes before Felix to make a defense because the Jews accuse him of doing wrong, of um, all this kind of stuff. Listen to what Paul says and then uh, let's, let's discuss what Paul says about this. Um, and actually, I'm just going to highlight something. I'm going to read the whole thing for sake of time. But you guys highlight some more things if you want. Notice in verse 10, it says, when the governor had nodded for him to speak, Paul responded. This is Acts 24, verse 10. And Paul said, knowing that for many years you have been a judge to this nation, I cheerfully make my defense. Since you can take note of the fact that no more than 12 days ago, I went up to Jerusalem to worship. Neither in the temple, nor in the synagogues, nor in the city itself, did they find me carrying on a discussion with anyone or causing a riot nor can they prove to you the charges of which they now accuse me. Can I just pause for a second? Paul utilized his political um, capital to defend himself in court. We'll talk more about that kind of stuff next week. Just kind of keep that in your head. He didn't avoid participating in the political process. He could have said, I'm going to keep my mouth closed. If you kill me, you kill me. But instead, he decided to go and speak up. No, all the stuff they're accusing me of, I can give you dates. I can provide witnesses if you need me to. This 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 ain't it. The accusations they're making, they're not real, but that's not our point for tonight. Our point for tonight is how did they talk? What were their, what was their point of emphasis whenever they related to political figures? So here's what he says, verse 14, but this, I admit to you that according to the way which they call a sect, by the way, he's talking about Christianity. He's talking about following Jesus, the way, according to the way which they call a sect, I do serve the God of our fathers. Believing everything that is in accordance with the law and, have, and written in the prophets, having a hope in God, which these men cherish themselves, that there shall certainly be resurrection of both the righteous and the wicked. In view of this, I also do my best to maintain always a blameless conscience both before God and before men. This is kind of a weird tact. Felix didn't much care. I mean, Felix, he wasn't into the Jewish ways, he wasn't into the gospel. But Paul takes this opportunity while standing before this powerful political figure. And not only does he defend himself and say, hey, the accusations they're making, they're not true. That's all Paul needed to say. But he takes this opportunity and pivots to say, but actually, I'm following after the way. I believe in the resurrection. I seek to serve God with a good conscience. The dialogue goes on and Paul ends up uh, talking about his, his life in the Lord and what he was doing and what it was all about. Um, and then Felix ends up saying, you know what? I'm not, I'm not ready to rule on this yet. He's kind of a coward. Uh, I'll I'll come back to you later. Well, there would be a number of times that he would come back to him. In verse 24, it says, but some days later, Felix arrived with Drusilla, his wife, who was a Jewess and sent for Paul and heard him speak about faith in Christ Jesus. But as Paul was discussing righteousness, self-control, and the judgment to come, Felix became frightened and said, go away for the present. And when I find time, I will summon you at the same time too. Felix was hoping that money would be given to him by Paul. And so he would send for him quite often and converse with him. So you see the point uh, Felix knew Paul was innocent. He didn't want to actually let him go. Cause that would be a politically kind of bad move for him with the Jews. Um, and he wanted something out of Paul in order to, to let him set him free. But as Paul meets him and talks with him, what do these verses say? You guys tell me what's interesting to you about what the text says about what Paul wanted to talk about whenever he would go meet with Felix from time to time. What was the conversation always about according to verses 24 and 25?
2: About Christ and self-control and righteousness. You see, he was scared, Ben.
0: Of course he's scared. He knew he was about to go to hell if he didn't repent. I mean, that's it, right? I mean, he knew this was real stuff, you know? Look, Paul tells him about the kingdom policies, you know? He's there living in a foreign country, just like we in our little hypothetical scenario might be. And he says, well, let me tell you about my country. Let me tell you about how things are supposed to go with the king who I serve. Obviously, Felix was a corrupt leader. He wanted a bribe to get Paul out of prison. He wasn't a just or fair, righteous person. And I'm sure that came up. But the context in which Paul talked about it was not a matter of public policy. Although again, I'm sure they talked about that at some point. But the reason why it was important was because God was gonna judge you one day, Felix. Hey, the reason why you need to stop messing around is because you need to have self-control because Jesus died on the cross to forgive your sins. And hey, you're not living righteously. You better believe in Jesus and you better start following. You guys get the point? Paul had this audience, a really unique audience with a powerful political figure. And the only thing he ever wanted to talk about was the gospel. He wanted to talk about righteousness. He wanted to talk about the judgment to come. That was the point of emphasis for Paul. That was the thing that was most important to highlight was the way of Christ, righteousness, self-control judgment to come. You guys can notice a trend here, right? Uh, The early church was not opposed to worldly politics just like Daniel and his friends weren't opposed to worldly politics, but they weren't particularly interested or preoccupied with it either. They were much, much more preoccupied with Jesus and his rule. Another passage that highlights this in Acts 4, the first time political figures stood against them. They arrest the apostle, a couple of the apostles, Peter and John, they throw them in prison, you know, all this stuff. And when they get released, they went and they raised their voices to God with one mind. And they said, Lord, pay attention to their threats. Or in other words, pay attention to what's going on in the politics around us and grant to your servants to speak your message with great courage. So many of you highlighted the boldness of these people and how they were willing to stand up for what was right. That was what it was about for them. They saw their primary foreign policy as as not being about trying to get the Jews and the Ethiopians and the Romans and all these people to have kingdom values, really what they wanted, their foreign policy was to infiltrate these foreign nations, Ethiopia, Judea, Rome, everywhere, and to call people say, hey, why don't you come out? Why don't you come serve King Jesus? Why don't you leave behind the allegiances of the place where you are? Leave Babylon and come to the new Jerusalem, to the kingdom of of God in Christ. So here's what I'm going to assert to you guys. and then I'm going to open it up if you guys want to make any comments before we wrap it up for tonight. The political discourse of Christ's first followers was concentrated. And I really want to say, and I'll say, I think the book of Acts bears this out. I don't want to say it for sure because I don't have a record of every single thing that every single Christian said, but I'll just say, I think we can almost say fairly that the political discourse of Christ's first followers was exclusively concentrated on the proclamation of the good news, the gospel of Christ's kingdom rule. Again, that doesn't mean they completely were disinterested in politics. It doesn't mean they never talked about it. It doesn't mean that it was a non-issue for their lives and how they went about things, but what they were concentrated on, what they were focused on and the things they thought and the things they talked with each other and the things that they talked about, even with the political powers of their world, it was about Christ and his kingdom. That was the deal. That was the focus. And I think if we want to be uh, followers of Jesus like these people were, we need to take that to heart and really let that resonate with us and guide the way we think about politics in the world. That doesn't answer all the questions. For instance, some might say, well, wait, can we participate at all then? Well, I'm going to say hold on till next week because we're going to find some stuff that you may think is kind of the opposite of what I'm suggesting here. I don't think it's opposite. I think it's just stuff we're having to hold together at the same time. Um, but we'll see some of the political action of the early church and how they related to the politics of their day in practical ways that I think are, are valuable for us to consider. Father, we praise you for raising Jesus from the dead, for making him king of kings and Lord of lords, so that we can be safe and secure and at peace and have joy and have hope this world, like you said to us, Lord, we only have trouble, but we're thankful that you've overcome the world and that in your victory, in your kingdom, we have security and we have direction and we have purpose. We pray, Lord, that you teach us to be like the early church, that we'd be people who would uphold the gospel in the way we live and in the words we speak. I'm thankful, Father, for the great discussions we have every week here, um, testing each other's thoughts on scripture and trying to pursue the truth, and to discover what's true and what's right in your eyes. And I pray you'd always help us to do that more and more. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
5: The aim of The Way BK is to share the gospel of Jesus Christ across Brooklyn and beyond. For more information or to contact us, please visit www.thewaybk.com.